everyone, and welcome to the Rumcast. My name is John Gulla. With me is Will Hookinga, and together we bring you a podcast that talks all things rum-related. And today, Will, we're talking about rum in maybe a different way than we've ever talked about it before here. I think so, yeah. we're For the first time ever, we put the call out to our patrons that we wanted to do a mailbag episode mailbag episodes are one of my favorite types of podcast episodes that i listen like in the podcasts that i follow i always enjoy the mailbag episodes and you know we we like to sprinkle in do a little dash of listener questions you know and intros and sometimes things like that throughout the show but Mm -hmm. we've never done an episode just dedicated to Send us whatever's on your mind, and we will answer any questions. Every We put everything on the table, and we got a, a bunch of great questions. The yeah, Patreon really cool community response. really mm-hmm. delivered. So I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. What, what, what's your feeling kind of looking over the questions? What stood out to you? Well, number one, there's a lot of different types of questions. And so it's great to see that, you know, part of the fear is you're going to get like the same question eight times over. And we really didn't have that happen. There's some overlap. That's always going to be natural. But it's nice to see the diversity of different questions, some of which I think were offbeat and fun. And, you know, (laughs) I love that. So, uh, you know, I'm excited for some of those as excited, at least to answer the, the more serious or rum related questions as well. So, yeah, it's nice to see some of that coming from different, you know, kind of perspectives. Yeah, we got a good mix of, you know, questions about rum itself, our preferences about rum, distilleries we think are underrated, things like that. And then we got some that are kind of business of rum related, some industry type questions. Mm -hmm. And then we also got some that are a little bit more just kind of questions about the show itself, some questions about us. So the way we're kind of organizing it, we're going to save that that stuff about ourselves for the end of the episode because we figure people really want the rum stuff. If you if you actually do for some reason care about me or John and, you know, what we do outside the show, if you want to skip all that, it's at the end of the episode. So we're, we're saving it for the end in case it's too boring for people. But we did get questions about it. So, so we are going to get to that. But before we dive into the mailbag, I wanted to call our listeners attention to one thing that I I came across this week. So at the beginning of the year, I think it was, I wrote an article about a new distillery in Chicago called uh, Chicago Cane Cooperative. As the name suggests, they're in Chicago. It's, you know, small startup distillery, 100% focused on rum. They're doing all sorts of like interesting, creative, offbeat fermentation type stuff. Like they're they're rum geeks, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the two co-founders up there. And I just learned, I think it was last week, the the guy I interviewed for the interview uh, for the article, his name is Daniel Regira. He is the co-founder and he's the one running the, you know, distilling. He's in charge of making the rum production, basically. I found out that in August, he was in a motorcycle, a very serious motorcycle accident, had a very serious spinal injury, and the injury was so extensive that he actually has, you know, I believe is paralyzed from where the injury occurred on his spine down. So it's a very serious, life-altering injury he his friends of his put together a a gofundme uh, which i was really pumped to see has already hit its sixty thousand dollar goal but as anyone who you know pays for medical expenses in in the u.s knows that is probably not gonna you know go the distance for for you know his full recovery and and 
things that will affect him for the rest of his life. So wanted to just let people know that, you know, this is a, a small new rum distillery out there that could use some support right now. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the GoFundMe, but just wanted to give them a shout out and, you know, wish Daniel all the best in his recovery. And just, yeah, want to, if you're in Chicago, check out their rum, you know, support, support your local rum distiller. And yeah. uh, if you can definitely, you know, check out the GoFundMe and, and give what you can there. Just uh, hoping for all the best and Daniel sending you uh, best wishes as you continue in your recovery. Yeah, agreed. And one thing about the rum community that we love is that we do have a nice community that that certainly cares for one another. And uh, in Absolutely. this case, is no different. Uh, and, and again, Daniel, we wish you the best. Yep. Well, yeah, with that said, I think uh, are we going to take a, a quick little break and then get just dive into some mailbag questions, John? Does that sound good? I think we're diving in head first. All right. Scrooge McDuck style. Let's do it. <laughs> ba-dum, ba-dum. Cast. Mailbag. It's the rum cast. Mailbag. Will and John taking on all your questions up around rum cast. Mailbag. Oh, my God. You sent that little jingle to me the other day, and you said something like, hey, I had like 10 minutes to do something creative, so I just threw something together, and I put it in Dropbox. Check it out. So I had no idea what to expect. That was not what I was expecting, but I was blown away when I heard it, and I was trying to figure out, like, A, how many vocal parts were in that that you recorded. Okay, yeah. And B, did you record all the vocal parts or was it just some sort of like harmonizing effect that you added on to one vocal part? Well, I'm happy to answer those. It was fun to do. (laughs) And uh, so number one, I think it's four parts in total, but there's one that's doubled. So five tracks. So it's five tracks in total. And no, it's it's all me. Uh, there's some EQ and some effects and stuff like that. Just the the, the basic stuff. Some like, reverb in there. Yeah. I have one laptop and one crappy <laughs> microphone, and that's all it is. No auto tune. No, no auto tune. No, 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 no. There's no mixing board here. It's just me with ten minutes of free time and just having fun. So the little kind of kind of mini bridge part that's in it, it it's it feels almost Beatlesque. I think it, it reminded <laughs> had that kind of vibe to it. So. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I think yeah. in our text message exchange, I called you Andy Bernard 2.0. So, <laughs> well, you know that comes from my my other life as a as an acapella singer. And yeah. So yeah, all of that I guess just kind of it's 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 there somewhere in my head, and sometimes it just it just has to find a way out. It just leaks so, out. Yeah, exactly. So well, I'm glad you enjoyed it though, and it, it was fun. <laughs> I hope people you know have a chuckle with it. I honestly, thought of Blues Clues when I was making it. So. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I I missed Blue's Clues. I, I'm a little too old to have. I think I'm too old to have watched it as a kid. And then I don't have kids, so yeah. you know, I never, I, mm. I never saw. I, like, obviously, I know what Blue's Clues is. I remember yeah. seeing the commercials, but yeah, I didn't even know music was involved. So yeah, there's like a little mail thing that they do, and and that's where my mind oh, went for whatever reason. Okay, mailbag. Uh, yeah. All yeah. right, I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Well, the longer you listen to this podcast, the more you learn about John Gullis' secret <laughs> musical talents. They they just they pop out every once in a while on the Rumcast. All right, John, there were so many good questions. It was hard to find a yeah. good starting point for me. But I thought we'd do something where we could both be pretty opinionated in the answer to the question. So okay. we're going to go... ready to disagree with you. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We want to <laughs> we want to uh, inject some conflict from the start of the episode. So we're going to go to this question from Dave Frank. Dave asks, "What is presently the most underappreciated rum producing country?" So, John, what in your book is the most underappreciated rum producing country uh, right ho- now? Hold on. Wait. First of all, can we just start with the fact that you know I thought we had an established order and I was ready to answer some questions here, and now you're throwing this one, which happens to be the only one I didn't have a good answer for to start with. Uh, <laughs> John, it's at the top. It's at the top of the shared Google Doc. I don't. I don't know what other impression you could have had. Oh man, I, you must have rearranged them at some point because I was looking at a different thing, and now I see you are in fact correct that the one you were looking at has that question on there. So I, I will give you that. So as I was going through, we did prepare a little bit. I mean, I, well, I don't want to speak for you, Will, but I prepared a little bit to, to to look at some of these and actually give some good responses. And this was the one that stuck with me the hardest. This one's the one that I was like, oh my God, how do you mean, when you say underappreciated, what do you mean by that? And I know, you know, it's it, it can be taken, I guess, superficially, like, yeah, not enough people know about it, but also it could be underappreciated in terms of the rum being made there. So, like, from that perspective, my Those brain started to Those kind of seem the same to, to me. How, how about no. this? How about I give you my answer? Because I, I came up with two answers for this. Well, I have two answers also. Go ahead. All right. Okay. Let's see well, what yours are. So I looked at this from the standpoint of it's it's always interesting when you talk about underappreciated rum producing countries. And I think we've asked a version of this question to guests yeah. before, like what's an underrated place? Maybe you've sprinkled it in, into the rapid fire here and there over the years. Mm-hmm. But rum itself is an underappreciated category, right? So the way mm-hmm. I was looking at the obviously not among rum nerds, but among the masses, right? So I was looking at this from two standpoints. What is an underappreciated rum producing country to the masses of people out there? And then what is an underappreciated rum producing country among the rum nerd community, the people who listen to this podcast? And when I asked myself the question about the masses, I came to a surprising answer. Okay. Because this country sells a lot of rum and is known for rum making. But John, I think the answer among which country do the masses not appreciate enough for making rum or just don't appreciate the rum they make enough, it's Jamaica. Oh, okay. I was I was with you all the way until that point. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, hear me out, hear me out. Jamaican okay. rum Jamaican rum is not just within the, the rum category, but within the spirits category is so special that it should be afforded, it should absolutely have the same status of scotch, of cognac of i would say mez i mean i don't think mezcal among the broader masses of people is Mm -hmm. on the same level of appreciation as those spirit categories i just mentioned i think among spirit nerds it certainly is Mm -hmm. all of those things have an elevated reputation of craftsmanship of quality which the rum category as a whole does not have broadly and to me if i had to narrow down like one country that is kind of quintessential distinctive rum it would and and represents the category as a whole it would be jamaica in my book and there are certainly arguments you can make for other countries like you know barbados is right there too i I think those are the the kind of the first two that i think of but so on on the for the masses i would say they're way off in their appreciation level of jamaican rum you know i think all they think it is is probably like myers and you know whatever is is kind of broadly out there so 
that's my massive response on the rum nerd side of things. I'm going to go to a country that we, I mean, we've talked about this being underappreciated all the time and okay. that's Puerto Rico. You know, we've both talked about Destilleria Serrayes, Don Q's rums. Mm-hmm. I just think rum nerds kind of see Puerto Rico, think Bacardi, think bland, neutral, mm-hmm. bland neutral. rum mm-hmm. and write it off. And yep. the closer you look, there is some special things coming out of that country. It has a, a really fascinating you know, history of rum production. And there's also yeah. some interesting new things happening there, like the cane juice stuff with San Juan Artisan Distillers yeah. and other things there as well that we spoke to in our Guide to Puerto Rican Rum episode. So I think among the rum nerd community, that is an underappreciated little gym of the rum world. So now that I've provided my answer, I see you're, you're scratching your neck, stroking your beard over there. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I feel like you really hate my Jamaica answer and, and are do. just ready to tear me apart. So, well, let's start in a positive place, which is <laughs> I had the same answer for one of my two, which was Puerto Rico. Okay. So you and I both came I to the conclusion might. that Puerto Rico was an underappreciated rum-producing country. You came at it from a similar direction than I did, which was, well, there's multiple ways we can take this in terms of the meaning of underappreciated. And I agree with you that there's a difference between the masses and the rum nerds, and also just how we're talking about what is underappreciated about it. I think Puerto Rico is one of those countries that makes really great rum, and yes, a lot of it is neutral or put it 40%. And so that makes it less interesting in some ways to the rum geeks out there. But there really is a lot of good stuff made. What hurt me the most in our fantasy draft was seeing how badly beat the Don Q Cognac got. It hurt Um, me too, because I wanted wanted to draft that rum. You beat me to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so this definitely is one of them. Now, can I I quickly add something about Puerto Rico? So I think Part of the reason it's underappreciated in the rum nerd community. And I'll also add that, like, a lot of the distilleries there probably don't really give a shit that it's underappreciated <laughs> in the rum nerd community because so they're doing like fine. Yeah. But I think some of it is self inflicted because I don't think there's a lot of widely available offerings of higher proof or cast strength selections, the kind of stuff right. that rum nerds gravitate toward. Right. And I know that in those cellars, at Distilleria Serrayes, that they have the kind of stuff that the rum mm-hmm. community would form a line to yeah, try. Yeah. And they're just not putting it out, is the thing. And I, I don't know if they have an aversion to selling to independent bottlers or what, but I mean, you just don't see a lot of the style of releases. And, and, and Don Q does so many different, you know, they don't just make one light rum, they make yeah. some heavy column rums and yep, things like yep. that that they put in their blends. So I know they've got some interesting stuff there. And they just, you know, they're they're holding it close to the vest. I, I think those types of releases aren't really their house style. So, I think if they put more of that stuff out, I think the rum community, the the, the rum nerd community, would open their arms and yeah. dive right in. So well, anyway, that's just I, what I wanted to add quickly. Uh, and I'm gonna tap onto that a little bit also, which is I think there's probably a cost benefit ratio happening there of mm-hmm. saying like, hey, we can use this for blending and yep. we use small parts parts of it into this mass produced good product that they provide, yeah. and they continue to make money that way. So that's the way that they see that being used, yeah. and don't see releasing a single barrel of it as making back the money that it would need. And part of that can be seen by, hey, they, they are trying, right? The Don Q Cognac cask was at 49%. Some of the others have been above 40%. And I've mm-hmm. seen that there there's a trend in that direction. It's almost like they're dipping a toe in the Baby water. Steps. Yeah. 
But my point in saying that, I may have said this before, is if we don't go out there and, and buy it, it's going to stop. Yeah. So I get that it's a little more expensive, but I almost see it as an investment in the future into them continuing to produce rum that is different from their standard profile or whatever you want to call it. Okay, now let's get, let's get, into, let's get real here, Will. <laughs> let's get real with Jamaica. Being an unappreciated rum-producing country. Under. Really? Under. Uh, uh, oh, so underappreciated. Excuse me, not unappreciated. If you were to ask 10 people on the street randomly, what are the top three good rum-producing countries? I'm going to guess Jamaica is one of those three for mm, 85%. Yeah, but then ask them, what do they think of the rum, and can they name some Jamaican rums? What kind of answers are you getting? Um... How many people would even know Appleton, John? 40%. No, that, that is way too high. I, I would say, t- if you're talking person on the street questions, yeah. just grabbing yeah. a random person, not going yeah. to like, you know, your craft cocktail bar or mm-hmm. anything like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. less than 10%. Like family feud style. Less than 10% would know Appleton. <laughs> no way. Yes. It's higher than that. Absolutely. It's higher than that. Everyone who is listening, write in and tell us which one of us is right or wrong about this. Less than 10% yes. of the average person you stop on a city street in Miami, Florida. Oh, hell no. Now you're definitely wrong. No, There's a lot wouldn't. of Jamaican people here. And yeah, I, I'm telling you, it's higher than 10%. Higher than 10%. I don't know if it's 40%. I would like to think it's 40%. Well, here's the great thing. The Rumcast has a correspondent who lives in Miami, Florida. So <laughs> I, w- I would like for you, just over the you next couple of weeks... Just, you know, when you're grocery shopping, whatever, go up to someone in a non-creepy way and ask if you can <laughs> ask them a question. I'm going to do that. I'm taking that challenge. Tell me what kind of... find out. What, what is the... What, how are you going to phrase the question? I don't know yet. I, like, give me some time to, to wrap my head around how I want to do this, because to your point, I don't want to be creepy with it. Do, this can is, this... I stand in front of a liquor store, though? Because that would be a little less creepy if I were asking. Honestly, yes. I I think even in front of a liquor store, I still don't think it would be 40% of people. And here's the thing. If you did that and and you asked about scotch or something like that, I feel Mm -hmm. like at least one of them, or I I think a decent number of people would be able to name, you know, Johnny Johnny Walker Walker. or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're getting there with Jamaican rum. So that's why I'm saying among the masses... Yes, maybe people have an association with Jamaica and rum, but it's yes. still like it's it's a there's an artistry to it that is not known or appreciated at okay. all. But do they have to know a brand to appreciate that Jamaica makes good rum? Like a lot of these people, if they visited Jamaica, had great rum there and they don't remember the name of the distillery or the product or the brand. Are we saying that they that's underappreciated? Yes. Huh. I don't know. Because, because do these people even know that you can drink rum neat? Well, but that's a bigger question than just <laughs> underappreciated rum producing countries. That's, that's the whole category. And yes, I would grant you that. But again, I, I don't know. I, it just feels weird to say Jamaica I just, would be an you know, underappreciated a, a, rum Every producer. now and then, I like to, 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 to zoom out and, and reset the, the perspective we have mm. on the podcast. Because I think a lot yeah. of times we get so zoomed in on the people I who are insane true. for rum already. Fair. I'm just trying yeah. to set, reset the context here. Of, of, of where the rum category is and the fact that I, I don't think there's a single country that gets the credit it deserves for the rum that it makes. So that's all I'm trying yeah. to say. That's all I'm trying mm. to say. Okay. 
All right. Well, I'm going to take the challenge up. We're going we're to figure out how I can get on the street and ask this question. <laughs> Don't get arrested. Don't, I will try not to get arrested, yes. <laughs> All, right. All right. On to the next one here. Yes. Let, let's go to the next question. This one is from Steven, who asks, what rums do you always keep in stock? I'll start with this one. So the the easy two that I think most people would agree with that listen to this podcast happens to coincide with the, the first round picks of the fantasy draft. Mm. It's Probitas and Rumfire. I think those are lesser known, right, amongst the masses. Yes. But those who are in the know know how valuable those rums are to have in a bar and to always keep in stock because of their ability to use. They're cheap enough that you, you can buy them over and over, assuming you can find them. And, you know, they, they feel so useful for the value that they bring. So I would start with those. But then I would also say, for me personally, what rums do I keep in stock? Well, I want to always have a four-square rum nearby, typically an ECS, but I'll take a Dorley's. Worthy Park is my favorite Jamaican distillery. Don Q, Don Q7 is a great product. Diplomatico Planus, we talked about that one also. That's a surprisingly good rum, white rum, that, that works well in a lot of drinks. And then I would also say St. Lucia, whether it's Chairman's or Admiral's, that kind of covers most of the bases for me. There's plenty others, but I think those were the, the, the rums that when I thought about this and tried to really be critical about it that I would want to have nearby. I I looked at it from a similar perspective as you. I actually, I don't have that many rums where it's like this one bottle. I always Mm -hmm. have a bottle of this single rum. Uh, I I think, I I was talking to someone recently and Mount Gay Eclipse was that for them. Mm -hmm. I always Mm -hmm. have a bottle of Mount Gay Eclipse. And for me, I just have such a steady stream of like new bottles that I'm purchasing or coming into possession of or samples and things like that, that I'm never short on things to drink. And I do like having some go-tos to come back to, but for me, it's more about either a certain distillery, like you were kind of saying something from Foursquare. I always like to have Mm -hmm. something from Foursquare too. And it's not always going to be the same bottle, even among the always available lines like Dorley's, for example. And, And, you know, I I might not all, like I really like Dorley's twelve, but I'm not always gonna go get a Dorley's sure. twelve because I might yeah. have something else that's a facsimile of that rum in stock, you know, that I can rely on. Um, a, a Jamaican overproof is a must, and for me, yep. it's it's generally I I do really like rum bar overproof too, but Rumfire or Ray and Nephew are kind of the ones that are a little bit non-negotiable. Like I have to have one of those, especially if it's summertime, my drinking preferences do shift a little bit when it gets cold outside. I don't drink as much yeah. of like the, I, I don't know, to, to me, that's just such like a bright, sunny cocktail rum. And that's not always what I crave in the wintertime. So mm. that's that's another one. And then I do like to have a more mild, lightly aged and filtered or white rum, like a daiquiri rum, basically, but not, yep. a, not a nuclear blow my socks off daiquiri rum. Sometimes I want just the, crisp kind of classic daiquiri profile a little bit more neutral in flavor just refreshing and honestly the the bottle that's become kind of a go-to for me in that is real mccoy three i think i mentioned on a previous episode that i did a blind taste test with that and havana club three and i preferred the real mccoy version instead so i do like that and if i do want a little extra little burst of flavor i can kind of mix in some rum fire, you know, quarter right. ounce or something like that, or, or some mm-hmm. Ray and Nephew, half ounce of Ray and Nephew to give it mm-hmm. a little bit more of Kick. an oomph. Yeah. But yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of the, the go-to things for me. You know, there, there's just, there's so much, I have such a backlog of rums that I need to get 
get through bottles I'm trying to empty that I, I feel a little guilty, like sometimes restocking something when I know I could have, like I have something else that's pretty close to it that I could just drink that instead. So I could, you know, make some cabinet space, that kind of thing. So yeah, that's yeah. where I'm at with that. Well, and there was a similar question from Mike Streeter. He asked, what's your go-to daily drinker? But he asked specifically a go-to rum and a go-to cocktail. So I think we've kind of answered somewhat the go-to rum there. And that that can be different. Like you mentioned, there's a little bit of play there, especially for rum geeks. You're going to have more than a couple bottles at most times. So you've got some differences in usage there. But for a go-to cocktail, Will... Do you have a, a go-to that you... I know we, we did our Lazy Cocktails episode it's, it's, recently. It's the Lazy Cocktails. I'll, yeah, I'll point people yeah. back to that episode. And, and honestly, you know something? This isn't a cocktail at all, but in my head, it kind of is. <laughs> I mean, it, it, is not, it does not fit the definition of a cocktail at all. But, you know, yeah. we always ask people neat or on the rocks. And I've always been a neat drinker. But yep. increasingly, I've found myself when I want, like, when I'm wanting something more towards a cocktail, but I don't mm-hmm. feel like making a cocktail, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll just do something on the rocks instead. And I, the, 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 I know it doesn't meet the technical definition of a cocktail, but it's yep. like rum plus some dilution plus cold in my head in my head, it's a little bit like a cocktail, even yeah. though it's it's closer to drinking neat than it is to having a cocktail, probably. But I've been doing that more often lately, and I kind of enjoy it. I still, it doesn't replace neat drinking for me. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's a mm-hmm. separate thing. But I think in the past, I was always like, why would I drink something on the rocks? You know, like, it just waters it down, dilutes yeah. it. it. But yeah. it's really, enjoy- like, A, it's nice sometimes just to have something that's cold. And B, some rums really stand up well to being consumed on the rocks so it's just something i've been you know messing around with a little bit more but actual cocktails it's the lazy cocktails you know it's a rum and ginger beer that kind of thing just very simple combinations no no rum and cokes for me i've never been a rum and coke person but that's more so because i don't have caffeine so Mm. that's where i'm at with that you know i'm glad you mentioned the on the rocks thing because i had an experience recently i hadn't told you about that uh is interesting it kind of fits what you're saying that was at the there was a recent event here in miami that was a food and beverage show and a friend of ours i think andrew lofeld he actually asked some of the questions we're going to get to today yeah but he was Rulezon. And so there was some Puerto Rican rums that were also there. And I think I told you I met uh, Mi Primo, uh, who is with Carjackers Rum. And I'm trying to recall the Distilleria name. Distilleria right Coqui. Thank you. Distilleria yes. Coqui. Thank you very much. And uh, so Distilleria Coqui was there. That was the first time I had had a chance to try some of their stuff. And I saw the Carjackers was there. He was, you know, also had his Pitoro, which mm-hmm. he was kind of showing people, which is much more sweet, uh, yeah. you know, some of it. And uh, But I asked, can I try the Carjackers? He said, sure. And so when he did it, without asking me, he put a cup full of ice, like like a like that crushed ice. I don't yeah. know what that's called, but the term is for that. I think it's called crushed uh, ice. No, but it's not crushed ice only. <laughs> Thank you. Um, when you say when you say crushed ish ice, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> There's like this certain ice maker that does this ice. It's like little spherical, like kind of like shaped. pebble ice. Yes, like the, yes. like you get at Sonic. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly. called pebble ice. Pebble ice. Thank you. Well, I didn't yeah. know this. Come so on, John. He, he Catch had a bunch up. of pebble try, try ice. To keep up. I remember, I'm a neat drinker, so I don't even, you know, usually go into this. And so, yes, the pebble ice, he throws a bunch of pebble ice in this small cup, and then he pours the carjackers and, you know, half ounce or an ounce pour or whatever it was, and handed it to me. And so, of course, at that point, I'm not going to be like, I'm sorry, I want it neat, right? So I, I go ahead and, and I start 
you know, drinking it. And I was super pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. by this. I thought it was really high level experience. And I just, I was fully expecting to be like, ah, oh, this is going to be full of water and diluted and I'm going to hate this because I don't like drinking on the rocks. But it wasn't. It was the opposite. I was like, wow, this is really good. This Sometimes rum stands up to this. Yeah. And it hit perfectly. So I was impressed by the fact that just putting it on the rocks, I guess with the right ice, maybe I need to invest in a pebble ice machine, Will, um, (laughs) because that made the difference. I've heard that you can go buy Sonic or maybe even Chick-fil-A. They have pebble ice as well. And I think they'll sell you a bag of it for like a dollar or something like that is what I've heard. Yeah. I've never done it myself. But, you know, I think some of that, you said it was a a food and beverage show. Is that it? So kind of a more of a general audience. This isn't spirits aficionados necessarily. I think some of that is knowing your audience because the Carjackers rum is cask strength. It's 120 proof. And so 60%. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, throwing it on some rocks, it dilutes it a little bit, makes it a little more approachable. I'm guessing that's sure. what they were what they were going for. It, well, it was very much the right choice because also you're in Miami. Even, I'm guessing it was hot. It was hot. It was indoors. And I had a, a friend of mine with me who's not really a rum aficionado, but he really enjoyed it, too, at that high proof. So, you know, credit to Mr. Quinones for knowing what he's doing with that. Yeah. And it was really, really good. Uh, and I, I I was kind of floored by it. I was like, damn, that was really a standout for me. Okay, so my, my go-to cocktail. As a neat drinking person, I don't do many cocktails. We've talked about that ad nauseum. But the two that I tend to do are daiquiris and rum old fashions, partly because I can actually make them well at this point. But I wanted to mention, Will, there's one more that's been gaining ground. Mm. And that is the Rum Manhattan. Oh, yeah. So the Rum Manhattan's really been kind of making up some, some ground. I've been trying it with different style of rums and trying to figure out what I like best with it because I'm enjoying that a lot. So, you know, that's kind of my new go-to cocktail, I guess you would say. But the other ones are are ones that I can make for people that I feel confident will they'll enjoy. What are the best combinations that you found so far? Like, what are you gravitating toward in terms of style of rum? I'm guessing, you know, you mentioned buying that bottle of Punta Mez recently, yep. the vermouth. Yep. So I'm guessing you've been using that a lot. What, what kind of rum do you typically use? I also tried a, a Martini and Rossi. Uh, oh, it, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. it was terrible. Terrible. Yeah, not, you know, <laughs> it'll do in a pinch, but it's it's not the best. Well, the Punta Mess is much better, in my opinion. And so, and then I tried some of the different, like, you know, Dorley's was one that I enjoyed, believe it or not. There was a St. Lucia, really worked well in there. Okay. So, which was different, but uh, I, I enjoyed that a lot. The reason I asked is because I really love Manhattans, you know, even... Without, I mean, my introduction to the Manhattan obviously was with rye, probably. Right, right. But I've struggled to find a rum Manhattan that works for me. A lot of the times, the rum either clashes with the vermouth, or it just kind of gets beaten up by the vermouth. It doesn't, right. it doesn't stand up to it enough. And I just, I haven't. I, I granted, I haven't like you know taken time to seriously tinker with it. But mm-hmm. every now and then, I'll try to make one. I just haven't found one that's stuck for me. So I need. I think I need to go back to the drawing board and figure it out. But if you're listening and you have a go-to rum Manhattan, send yeah. send us your 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 rum that you use and your vermouth because I, I would like to add it to my rotation for sure. All right. So next up, this is a cool question, and this kind of it's something I've I've been thinking about a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. This this mm-hmm. came from Nick, who asked, "Now that you've been into rum for a while, have your buying habits changed? As in, what you buy, how many bottles, how much you're willing to spend, mm-hmm. etc." So 
I thought about this in a few ways. Um, one thing that I've become more aware of over the last maybe year and a half, two years and so is I've been increasingly more aware of when I'm paying a premium for a particular brand. And one example of this, this actually came up on our most recent happy hour we did with our patrons was the recent Velier Clarendon release that came out the 2014 eight year EMB. Mm -hmm. That rum, I believe was about $160. Most places there was a Holmes key eight year 2014 EMB that came out last year that I think is pretty similar. Both were aged at the distillery. So these were probably casks that were, right around each other probably filled around the same time that one was 85 dollars, and so i've just that you know i'm not trying to take a shot at velier or you know shine a light on home's key or anything but i'm just saying i've become increasingly aware of there are certain brands where you pay a premium price uh because of the reputation they have and velier does have a great reputation and I'm not saying every time you pay for Velier, you're overpaying or anything, but and sure. they're not the, the only one that, that is capable of charging a premium, but I've just become more cognizant of that and aware of when I am being pulled to something because I love the look of the label, when I can actually get something similar from another brand yeah. for, for a cheaper price. So that's one thing I've noticed. But, but what about you? Like, how have you noticed your, your buying habits evolve? Like you, I thought this was a really great question because it really forced me to think about this in a way that maybe I'd, I had considered in my head but not really committed to thinking about. And I, what I came out with thinking was, number one is all hobbies usually have a progression, Yeah. right? And the rum hobby in this case is no different. But I'm going to digress really quickly into another hobby of mine, which is board gaming. Yes. So... I, I have a huge board game collection. It's well known that I'm a board game geek and love to play games as much as I can. And similarly, what I've found with my rum hobby has been indicative of the same thing that happened in my board gaming hobby, hobby separated by a few years. Because I started with the board gaming thing before mm -hmm. I started with the rum thing. And so what that is, is typically being more aware of what you're buying and what the use is going to be, what yeah. you're going to get out of it. Yeah. What is the novelty, to your point, of it? Is it unique? Is it different than something you already have? Yep. Or, you know, in what way is it really going to be a piece of your collection? Yep. And so that's kind of what I, I noticed is, uh, you know, it's a function of us doing this also that, you know, we're close with the community. We attend events and we try different things at, at events. We get samples. And so I end up only buying what I really love or what's very different. And so that's, I guess, you know, kind of, I feel like that's how it goes for, for most people generally. There could mm -hmm. be exceptions to that. But that's where I came out of it is so, you know, I look harder at what I'm buying. I am very keenly aware that now I need to replace. If I'm buying something, I'm replacing something in my bar mm. because I'm out of room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? My wife is very gracious with the amount of room and amount of bottles and board games that I have. And <laughs> I don't want to step on that anymore than I should at this point. It's a big collection. So I really am trying to say, am I willing to buy this bottle that will then take the place of something else in my collection. And yep. that's a that's a really interesting mental exercise to have to go through. And then finally, I am willing to spend a little bit more now than I was when I started in the hobby. Hmm. Interesting. And, 
and what, that is it, what's your threshold? Sir, go ahead. Yeah. Is that is that too personal? Ah. Uh, <laughs> Depends on the day. <laughs> did, did I just get paid? Is it the first of the month? No. <laughs> um, I would say I'm rarely, rarely, if ever, spending $200 or more on a bottle. But I would, given the right opportunity that I really feel strongly isn't just something that I'm going to buy on a whim. It's it's yeah. something I've well-researched and found this is going to be a value. This will be a, a cornerstone of a collection for me. Yep. And corners, there's only four. So, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm willing to drop 200 or 250 on a really special bottle. And I don't think I was in that space two or three years ago. Mm. I would say I'm in basically the same. I don't think I've crossed the $300 threshold for a bottle of rum yet. Yeah. And I certainly I've tried rums that go for that much. And I'm not saying there aren't rums out there that aren't worth that much. But at a certain point, you hit a threshold where it's scarcity is determining the price. And that's sure. that's for me where I back off a little bit because I can find plenty of stuff that I'm going to enjoy just as much underneath sure. that price point. And I'm not really I, I'm not really a collector in rum or in in anything, really. Yeah. Um, I like to have less physical things. I'm not like a minimalist or anything, but you know, I just, I, I'm not going to buy rum and just keep it forever. I've got a bottle or two that I, you know, I'm saving for a special occasion, but I'm not hoarding Mm -hmm. bottles or anything like that. I will say just to add a little note at the end of this, I, I wrote down a note that was very, very similar to what you said on top of the brand thing that I was mentioning earlier, which is I look for two things, drinkability and or uniqueness. So is this bottle going to be something that I am, you know, it's just delicious that I'm, I'm going to want to go to. It's going to become a regular in the rotation until the bottle's gone. Yeah. If so, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to seek that out. And then uniqueness is the other thing. Do I have something already? It doesn't have to be the exact same thing, but is mm-hmm. similar, plays a similar role in it. Or am I fine with just trying a sample of it, you know, finding one somehow? And that's not saying I can get a sample of anything. You know, I I don't have infinite resources to do that, but it's got to fill a hole of of some sort or be something that I know I'm going to love. And I've come to learn over the years, there's there's only so many unaged high ester rum that I'm like, and when I say high ester, I mean, it's like very high ester that I'm actually going to sit down and drink over the course of a year. So those are the kinds of rums that like, I love to try them. And some of them, yes, I I will grab a bottle if it's especially unique, but like, I don't, I don't don't need to have every single one because I'm never going to get through all of them, you know? So yeah, that's, that's basically where I'm at with that. Okay. The next question we have, this was actually one of my favorite questions, and I was really eager to see your response. So this question came from Kyle up there in D.C., part of the the D.C. Rum Rebels up there. Mm -hmm. If each of you were an independent bottler with no limit on cost, what is the one distillery you would want to pick a barrel from and why? So I'm going to turn this one over to you first, John. Where did you go with this question? Well, before I answer it, how long will, don't give me your answer, but how long did you think about this before you came to an answer? I, I you know, probably spent 10 minutes or so before I okay. arrived at, you know, there's many possibilities that, that I could answer this question with, but I, I, I felt I arrived at one that I think is a, a good answer. Yeah. 
I, I, I know there's a good question when sometimes you rack your brain and then you just have to give up and come back to it. Mm. And I did that with this one for a little while, really trying to figure out because I kept coming to answers that I was like, okay, I know this is a great rum and I know no limit on cost means, you know, I don't have to worry about that. And there's some really great rum out there that I would like. But then some of it was kind of already out there. And yeah, so, I mean, there's like the the obvious answers like right. Hampton, Foursquare, etc. Sure. But I, you know, I wanted to, to, to dive a little bit below the surface on this one. Okay, well, so here's here's how I set it up, and I, I eventually worked myself into this place, which might be surprising. Okay, so if cost isn't a factor, I need some place with some history. All right, I, yeah, that I, makes I want, sense. I want the history, right? I'm not I'm not gonna you know find something that's you know, less expensive because you want the inventory too. And I want enough volume of inventory to find something special. You took it out from exactly (laughs) what I was going to say. So I was trying to then figure out in my brain, where are those places and where might those be? And, and the kicker was where is one that maybe we don't have a lot of it out there. So I went with, and maybe this is going to be a surprise. I can tell you're kind of shaking your head. So I'm not sure if you know where I'm going. No, I have no idea. Okay, I'm going with Mount Gay. All right, that's a good one. That's a, that, that that was one that crossed my mind that I'm interested to hear why yeah. that, that was well, your choice. So we know Mount Gay has a, a huge volume, a yeah. huge history, and they do release really great special editions where they're expensive, but they don't release a lot of like cask strength mm-hmm. stuff, if any, right? And so that's hard, super hard to find. And what they are releasing as limited editions is is good. It's cask finish. It's kind of experimental and blending and all of that. And I think that's great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shaming that at all. But I, I feel like that was a distillery that if I were to somehow just get let loose like a kid in a candy store in their aging warehouse with mm-hmm. a thief, that I would just have the time of my life trying to find some amazing freaking barrels right out of the barrel that I could then bottle and the world would rejoice. It also seems like one of those distilleries that is, and maybe every distillery does this to a degree, but I think mm-hmm. some more than others, it's one that is probably holding a lot of the really choice barrels close to the vest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like Mount Gay needs to sell a bunch of casks to, to main rum company and that sort of thing. So, and I mean, you just, you don't see too many independently bottled Mount Gay either. So yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great choice, and it's one that I heavily considered as well. Okay. But I'm glad I right, did well, it, glad. so that we yeah. have some some diversity of responses here. Okay, well, what what's yours? Hit me with yours. Yeah, so what I ended up going with is a distillery that does have history, and it does have volume, but it also has a little bit of a third ingredient, John, which is mystery. Mm. It's got some mystery as to what exactly is available in these aging warehouses, and there's been some speculation as to what's mm. in there. Okay. So what I'm going with is Trinidad Distillers Limited, the makers of Angostura rums. Mm-hmm. Partially because, yes, I am interested in their own inventory of rums. I think recently we were just talking about the the flag series Trinidad rum, mm-hmm. which came from mm-hmm. that distillery, which we both really, really enjoyed. And I, j- I feel like we've been seeing more kind of like long age TDL expressions in the US. There was that and there was the friendship barrel that Florida Rum Society did and, you know, some impressive stuff. But the mystery reason, listeners may remember that we had Stefan Meyer who wrote the <laughs> epic tome 
of Caroni. Tome is, is the yes, right word. It is yes. a tome. It's a two two volume tome mm. that he wrote about Caroni Distillery, which has become one of the most rare sought after rums from a defunct Trinidad distillery. And he details the history in that tome of what happened to all the Caroni casks. And a large number of them were purchased by Trinidad Distillers Limited and stored there. And there's always been speculation as to like what happened with those. I, I think there, uh, there's a little bit in, in Stefan's book about like some of it went to St. Lucia um, and people have speculated like they did they use any of it in their own blends. I think they've denied mm-hmm. that before. And so I just want to have a look. I want to poke around and just kind of see how many of those Caroni barrels. Are there still any there? If so, what is there? And, yeah. you know, I, I just want to explore. I want I want to get to the bottom of this rum mystery and maybe along the way I'll find some special rum as well. So that was my answer to this question. It's it's fair. And, and that to me was a consideration also. But I also felt like it would be a more popular choice in a weird way. So I was trying to find something that uh, I, I thought it would go under the. I thought I was coming up with a great under the radar response response. And you're just telling me I, I went with the, the obvious choice. Forty uh, percent of people would have chosen that. <laughs> <laughs> it's way closer. It's ten percent. Ten percent of rum nerds would say that if you ask them. Okay. Well, well, both good choices. I, I also considered St. Lucia Distillers was one because yeah, that's another one too. where I'm like, I'm like, mm-hmm. what are they not giving to us? You I know? agree. Because they stopped selling to IBs several years ago, and they do a great job with the master selection and everything. But I also just feel, you know, they've got to be holding some of the good stuff, the the, the best stuff, close to the vest there. And there's such a variety of rums they create there. I just think that would be fun to go in there and have carte blanche to peek into whatever cask I want. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And also Guyana, right? Yeah, yeah that's literally written down in my notes yep. was Demerara yeah. Distillers. Who knows Who knows what all is in there? Maybe some of their their own high ester mark is their aging, which I have never tasted and would love to, to taste. So next question is very similar to this and is one, I think we actually asked Jeff Barry this question and he had a great response to it. Andrew from Releason actually asked us, if you could resurrect one now defunct rum or now defunct distillery, which would it be and why? So, John, yeah. I'll again, let you go first here. Well, I'm glad you asked this back to back because the obvious answer here is Caroni or Caroni. Yeah. But I really don't like most Caroni. <laughs> so. You're good with it being gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I would love to see more of it. You know, I know there's yeah. people out there that enjoy it, Stefan and others, but. It, for me, it's not it's not my jam. So I'm gonna go somewhere else. Okay. So I had to really think hard about this because. Uh, so first thing I did was look up defunct rum distilleries. <laughs> there's not that much, right? I mean, there's some that we know, you know, but there's not that much. And the ones that we did, I wasn't as sure I wanted to go there. So I thought. Well, back you could and, also and, go with defunct rum. I know. Yes. So I, I'm actually choosing to do that, and in a way, it's actually both. Okay. The pick that I have. It's a defunct rum and defunct distillery. I think I know what this is. Do you? But the brand still exists. Oh, okay. Maybe I don't know. What is it? I kind of wanted to resurrect a late 19th century Cuban Bacardi. Oh, okay. This feels like cheating. What is it? No, it's not cheating. 
I want a pre-industrialized, pre-value engineered, pre-homogenous <laughs> for the majority consumption Bacardi. And I want to taste that. What is that that lit the world on fire back then and created this huge conglomerate that now, yeah, we, we look at Bacardi and we're kind of like, okay, yeah, we know what Bacardi is. Right. But I feel like if we were able to somehow magically step back in time and get that, that it, it, it would be surprisingly different. I, I could be totally wrong. It could be shit for all I know. But I would really be interested to find that. And I, I, would, I could be a, a necromancer, if you will. <laughs> uh, so that's, a, that's just a little preview okay. for one of the coming questions. Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I see where you're coming from. I think you stretched the question a little bit <laughs> since you can still buy Bacardi rum. So, but, but the specific style of rum they were making mm-hmm. back then would have been mm-hmm. different. And yes, it would have. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. I'll, I'll abide the question. I won't hold okay. your feet to the fire too much on that. So I, I, I get points for creativity with that. I feel well, so I feel like I'm going to get even more points for creativity. Ooh, with my okay. All right. Okay. All right. So I thought about defunct distilleries and I thought about defunct rum brands. I actually thought Jeff Barry had a really great response to that. He was talking about some of those early uh, or early 1900s, mid 1900s mixing Jamaican rums that came yeah. out. Some of those yeah. J Ray, the, the the dagger rums and things like that. Those would be super cool to have back mm-hmm. and to try. But I wanted to go a little deeper and I was thinking about defunct distilleries and then it clicked in my mind. And the reason why I didn't think of this at first is because this distillery never made commercially available rum. It only made experimental rum. And I'm sorry, did you say experimental? I did say experimental, experimental rum. And this is a defunct distillery that I've been to in person. I've stood outside of it and marveled at the ruins of what remains. And what I'm talking about is going once again back to an underappreciated rum country, Mm -hmm. the rum pilot plant in Puerto Rico. Yeah. The rum pilot plant, what this was, it was an experimental rum distillery that the Puerto Rican government constructed in 1953 actually fun fact about this that i love the company because like this was like a state-of-the-art distillery the reported cost in 1953 was five hundred thousand dollars which i think would be somewhere around five or six million dollars now and the intent was never volume with this place they weren't again they weren't trying to make commercially available rum but the fun fact that i love is the company that they hired to design and basically build out the distillation unit was a company in Cambridge, Massachusetts called Arthur D. Little. They were a research and engineering firm. And one of the things that they previously did was they built the first research lab for General Motors. So this is like, this was a state of the art, like ultra modern. Mm -hmm. If science built a rum distillery, this is what it would be. And it existed in 1953 in Puerto Rico. I feel like it was like Jurassic Park. Like, you know, the movie where the science labs are like that that vibe. Yeah. It's it's like a rum playground. And some of like the best researchers, like scientists worked here. There was cutting edge rum research that took place here while it was in existence. And at, you know, I, I, I've I've been trying over the years to learn a little bit more about what went south and why it was shut down. And I haven't found all the information yet. I have heard from some Puerto Ricans who have theories that certain 
rum brands because the original intent of this rum pilot plant was to basically democratize rum research for all the distilleries on the island because yep. during World War II the US wasn't producing whiskey because like all the industrial effort was going into the war and, right. but people back home still needed to drink right so r- there was like a rum boom in the in the 40s during World War II and all this Puerto Rican rum went into the US the, like so much was going in that they couldn't even really keep up with production so a lot of what they started making was like not aged to standard maybe they cut some corners on the production and like mm-hmm. rum like so it was some shitty rum basically going into the u.s <laughs> so much so that like rum had a really bad reputation by the time the war was over and all the while puerto rico is, is making tons of money including the government because of the rum tax c- cover over that's done right. so the the government was bringing like some years like 33 million dollars in revenue that could go towards infrastructure and things like that and then they get to the end of the war the U S can make whiskey again or whatever. And like all this revenue plummets. And so that was part of the reason why they built the pilot plant. They were like, we need this to study, like how to get more efficient, like how to make the best rum in the world, all this stuff. Anyway, what I've heard from some Puerto Ricans is that eventually certain dominant distilleries, which Mm. will remain unnamed, were maybe Mm -hmm. not so keen on that existing. That's not confirmed. I'm not saying that's what happened, but that's just some, you know, whispers that i've heard um anyway if you you can still like drive like right outside you can see like pieces of the equipment through the windows it's it's locked Mm -hmm. shut and i wouldn't advise trespassing or anything but it's just this like magical little rum temple almost it's 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 like an indiana jones rum find i feel like feels like an area 51 for for rum yeah and yeah there's still little bottlings of some of the rum that they produced. I got to go to the rums of Puerto Rico government office when I was there. And like they had some, you know, sample bottles, not for resale, but they had like a rum pilot plant label on them with like a, a logo kind of thing on it. And it looked like very, you know, early 70s. It was super cool. And I didn't get to try any of it. But I just think like it just feels like a crime that that went to ruin and and doesn't exist anymore. So I would love to to resurrect that and bring it back to life. My second answer to this would be Frank Ward's Mount Gilboa rums. That's the other one. That's what I would throw in there as well. But that's the more popular, easy answer, I feel. So wanted to take a little... Your answer was better researched. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It provided a a more detail and in-depth review. Yes, I agree with you. A brief history lesson. Which I've come to expect yes from from you no less so <laughs> yeah it's a it is a really fascinating thing and i'm I'm glad you highlighted it yeah all right so moving on we we have a question here that is i think pretty common but something that everyone who is a rum nerd deals with and, and we got mm. asked this in two different ways one from olivier and one from condi and the question is basically like how do you handle questions like i don't like rum convince me or i drink captain morgan what should i try next or I drink whiskey or I drink gin, like how should I get into rum? What are kind of the strategies that we have for this? And this is something we've talked about before, but I'm interested to just kind of hear what approaches you've tried out recently and, and what works for you. So I think I hit on something recently. I'm glad that that uh, Olivia and Condi asked this question because I, I, I'm eager to get this knowledge out and, and to get your take on it and maybe see if there's any validation there. So I will start. start, I will start by saying, not going to say I have the answer to this. I've failed a lot, <laughs> but I, I have noticed 
one trend, which I think is valuable, and I think that's where I'm tending to go. And that is, when you encounter a person that gives you these type of questions or is asking about rum and say, I'm a bourbon person and blah, 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 talk more about rum and educate out of the myths and misconceptions and stop trying to just introduce them to a great rum that you feel is competitive. Mm. Because I was doing a lot of the former there, or sorry, I should say the latter there, of just trying to say, oh, you don't like rum? Here, try this. Yeah. And that didn't work, like, a lot. It really didn't work. But what I've found is started to work is you've got to get somebody that's in the right pliable mindset to accept something different. And the way to do that is to start changing those misconceptions by first talking about, here's what you don't know about rum, or here's something about rum that you might have thought differently about. And once you get them to tell you, I want to try one, you've hooked them. Mm. I've had a so much higher success rate after I get them to say, I want to explore tasting them and then providing them with a rum, then I have trying to just, you know, force it and say, right. here, foist this on you and you're going to like it. Right. Take so your medicine. That, right, right. That's that's what I've kind of figured out and had more success with. Now, I know that doesn't list exact steps or get specifics, but I think the philosophy behind it is important. I like that. Well, I can kind of come in with a little bit of like the next thing to do, because that's a good point. That is something that I think I've tried to do but i hadn't i hadn't thought about that when i was thinking about this question like Mm -hmm. i do try to tell people you know do you know where rum comes from do you know and that's both geographically culturally and what it's made from that kind of thing right so i try condescending right which is yeah yeah yeah. sometimes yeah Yeah. i don't say like do you even know like how (laughs) rum is made Uh, not like that but yeah Uh, i try to share the excitement about it and and the fact that rum is made in so many places that's I something yes. that i touch on as well i do the same yes yeah just just anywhere sugarcane grows and i try to get into right. like it's it's a fascinating way to explore and learn about different cultures and mm-hmm. history and things mm-hmm. like that but the other thing something that i've tried to be more conscious of is understand what kind of drinker the person is that you're talking to and what i mean by that is yes we know like if it's someone who is new to drinking spirits need obviously you don't want to give them something cask strength that sort of thing but the other thing that i've thought about more and and tried to discern from people is are they the type of drinker let's say they're a whiskey drinker for example are they the type of whiskey drinker who is looking for something who wants more of the same or more of the similar i should say are they yeah. looking for familiarity and mm-hmm. something that feel, that is in their comfort zone or are they like i love whiskey but like i'm kind of tired of the monotony i want something mm. just completely different because yeah. with rum you can answer that question either way right you can like mm-hmm. you could give them an unaged the agricole and blow right. their minds so right. like or you could give them Foursquare or something like that that's going right, to have more right. of those barrel characteristics that are a little bit more familiar to them. So that's something because sometimes like I, I've talked to whiskey drinkers and like given them Foursquare and they're like, so, yeah, I'm looking for something. And I'm, I'm not trying to be one of those people that's like, oh, Foursquare tastes just like whiskey because I disagree with that. But I, there I is a well. there's a familiarity. Yeah. There's an easier transition. <clears throat> than giving mm-hmm. them something like, you know, a Hamden C Diamond H or something like that. <laughs> so just just get a feel for like, do they want something that is already going to be in their comfort zone or do they want something that is going to like 
be completely new and different and unlike anything else they've ever had before. Because Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we can be guilty of doing either. We can be guilty of like, oh, I'm going to give you something that's just going to like so fucking crazy. You've never tasted anything like this. Or it's like you play it too safe, you know? Yeah. So I think you have to know the audience a little bit and kind of what they're seeking out. I was going to say that the theme there that I'm sensing between us both is kind of we're we're having more success by being the defender and not the attacker in a way. Mm. You know, I know that's a that's a blunt kind of metaphor, but the idea being is if you can get into where the mindset of the person is that's asking these questions a little bit more than like I like Captain Morgan or I like tequila, you you've got to explore more. You've got to figure out where they're coming from and then be able to pull out the the move of like saying, "Okay, because rum is so diverse and, and has so much to offer, you can then kind of pick the right return it's almost i was trying to think of an analogy and i thought about it would be like if you met someone who had never listened to like any kind of rock music before and was like Mm -hmm. what's this rock music thing all about (laughs) you know you could play them chuck berry or you could play them radiohead and like the responses are going to be wild like there's so much subgenres within it you know and rum is kind of similar in that way so you Mm -hmm. have to you get you have to dig a little bit deeper you have to customize it a little bit to the audience and i think as you pointed out you have to tell the story sounds so cheesy but you know share a little bit about what makes it special it's way more than just what's in the glass exactly that's a good Mm -hmm. way to put it okay so next up we got a question from roger Roger said, I'd like to hear a discussion on the state of American rum. What are the good rums distilled in the U.S.? Can American rum go toe-to-toe with rum from other countries? So, we actually, Roger, we recorded a, a whole guide to American rum that was basically like state of American rum. It needs a whole episode. So yeah. um, we did that. We we like went down a list of of distilleries we think are worth trying, worth seeking out. And I would recommend going to that episode. But I did zero in on that question within the question of can American rum go toe to toe with rum from other countries? Because I think it's interesting and I think it touches on what people miss a lot of times with American rum. And that is... And you may have a different answer to this question, but mm-hmm. my answer would be I could put together like a blind tasting lineup with American rums and Jamaican rums, Barbados rums, Fiji rums, Puerto Rican rums, whatever, and give it to someone. And I don't think the American rum that I select would be the last rated rum. Like I do think it would be somewhat competitive depending on the lineup that I selected. However, that being said, and so in that sense, you can like engineer a way for American rum to quote unquote go toe to toe. Mm -hmm. But from the broader standpoint of can American rum offer the same breadth of choices and depth of experience of Mm -hmm. Jamaican rum, I would say, no, it absolutely can't right now. And part of that is because American rum is still relatively modern American rum is still relatively new. Obviously there's some history that goes back hundreds of years, but the, the mo- what you can get now, it's not like there are distilleries that have been doing it for, you know, a hundred years still left in the United States that doesn't exist. So a, right. you're not going to find distilleries that have the stocks of aged rum mm-hmm. that other countries are going to have B 
there is no cohesive national style, partially because the category is still so young in the modern world and partially because the U.S. is so big just geographically. There's so many different climates and things like that. And it's it's just hard, I think, culturally, geographically for like one consistent, recognizable style to come to fruition. Agreed. So in that sense, you're just you're, you're not going to find the inventory, the age and really the distinctive, consistent quality, even though with a country like Jamaica, we can definitely find like obviously there's diversity within the category, but there mm-hmm. is a through line from among most of the rums there where you can recognize them as Jamaican. I think same thing for, for Barbados and, and many other countries in the Caribbean that have been doing this for a long time. So from that standpoint, no, I don't think it can go toe to toe. And if I were like introducing someone to rum for the first time, it's probably not what I would select to be emblematic of the mm-hmm. category just because it's still young and it's figuring itself out. So, but that said, there are some high quality rums that typically tend to be on the younger side, but that doesn't mean they can't be very good right. um, that you can find out there. So there is some good stuff, but you also have to wade through a lot of, to be honest, shit to get to it. Just because, I mean, there's hundreds of distilleries doing this. The majority yep. of them aren't focused on rum. It's just whatever, and they don't really care about it. So it's really easy to try mediocre or bad American rums. But I mean, there's, you know, over a dozen, I think, out there distilleries that that are making something worthy of rum nerds looking into it. You just have to find them. So, again, go check out our episode. But that's that's my response to that, John. Anything to Uh, add? I'm going to keep it real short. This is a will question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I I do want to say that like you kind of ended with, I'm really encouraged by what I've seen in the last few years from American rum producers. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that you need to sift through a lot to find the good ones. However, I, I will also say that we should, I'm speaking to Americans here specifically, even if the rum isn't for you, you can try to find some things that they're maybe doing right also, mm. whether it's transparency, sustainability approaches, those type of things. I think we should be honest with our feedback, but also lifting up the wins and cheering them on to keep fostering the growth. Because I do see, to your point, I think there is potential for growth. But to your point also of us being relatively new, quote unquote, in, in doing this. Yeah, it's true. In other countries, you have successive generations of families that yeah. have been doing this for their entire lives. You really don't see that much here. You see the entrepreneurial spirit from people. Mm. You see people who are passionate about rum here making rum. And that is phenomenal. And I hope it's rewarded. But it's not quite the same level of what you're getting in some of these other historically producing rum countries. Yeah. Yeah. It, it takes time to get good at making this stuff. And so, yeah, I try to be for, for people who are, who are doing things the right way and you can see that they really care about it and respect mm-hmm. the category. I try to be encouraging. I, if they request honest feedback, I give honest feedback. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think you're I think you're dead on there. And following on that question, Dave asked, what developments do you hope to see over the next decade in U.S. rum distilleries located in sugarcane producing states. So I think this would bring to mind three places primarily, although there's technically more than three, but the three that come to mind to me are Hawaii, Louisiana, and your home state, Florida. Florida. Mm -hmm. Texas has some sugarcane as well, 
And mm-hmm. there's some distilleries here and there doing, you know, sugarcane stuff in, in other pockets of the southern regions of the U.S. But those are the big three. But but John, what do you what was your response to this? What in the next 10 years, what do you want to see more of in these yeah. sugarcane producing states? Well, I mean, similarly to what we just said in terms of I, I want to see a continuation of transparency and them leading with the transparency of what that is. I think it's pretty easy to identify who's being more transparent in their rum and who's not being for some of these craft distilleries. They may not even just understand it at this point because a lot of them are just experimenting with rum making and don't, I, I don't want to presume here, but some of them it feels to me like when you see some of these that really don't hit the mark. Yeah. That, they're, they're not understanding of the transparency conversation that's happening within rum and why it's important. Mm. So if you see some of that, I think leading with that and seeing, you know, okay, w- where there is transparency being had with rum production in the U.S., that we should reward that, and I want to see more of that over the next 10 years. Also, I mentioned sustainability, and I think with rum-producing areas, it's a sustainable approach. I-, I would love to see a little bit more investment in the cane itself. Mm, yeah. If we're going to go down this road, how do we continue? Hawaii is doing a lot with that right now, but I think Louisiana and others have an opportunity to continue investing in the cane itself are varietals and what are the different like they're doing in Granada with the different plots and how the terroir of different microclimates might affect that I know that that's hard to do because there's a lot of cost attached to that and it's really a lot to ask of some of these small distilleries to start being able to do that but where they are able to and where that is happening I think it hopefully will continue and will be rewarded in that way so Oh yeah, and it doesn't just we we don't have to just speak to the, the distilleries there. If 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 you're someone in those regions who you know has the money to fund that kind of thing, yeah. invest in the people that want to make it happen. You know, yeah, let's put some money into it. Yeah, I, I would echo a lot of that. And one of the things for me is just if you are in a sugarcane producing state, you have something very few distilleries have in the U.S., which is access to that cane, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would love to see, just find ways to do more stuff with it. Obviously more cane juice, but do stuff with cane syrup, you know? I, I, I just think like we're seeing this trend of distilleries in, in the Caribbean too, doing more with like the whole stage of the cane plant. You know, we mm-hmm. see, we're seeing some doing syrup like St. Nicholas Abbey in Barbados. We're seeing some folding some cane juice production into their molasses based rum. So yeah. if, if I'm not saying everyone has to be a 100% cane juice distillery, that's a, a, a very specific stylistic choice and mm-hmm. is almost like doing something much different than being a molasses based distillery. But why limit yourself to one thing? Find a way, you know, do do more with blending, showcase the, 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 the cane juice sure. in a molasses rum. Try, try boiling some syrup, you know, see what happens. And the great thing about that is it's stable for longer, so you don't have to distill it all right away. Overall, just, you know, less reliance on just using molasses or just using some type of crystallized sugar and finding a way to take advantage of your access. And again, like you said, I'm fully acknowledging this costs money, this costs yeah. time, this costs investment. It's very difficult. I understand that. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to say it's easy at all. I know it yeah. isn't. <laughs> and doing a distillery is already hard enough. But the question was, what would we like to see? And if I'm just, you know, thinking magical thinking, that's what I would like to see more of. It's mm-hmm. just finding creative ways 
to really showcase the 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 plant in different ways and mm-hmm. yeah so that's what i'd like to see and i think we are going to see it so i think we're already yeah. starting to see it a little bit and i think we'll be seeing more of it so. i think 10 years from now the ai will be making it all anyway so <laughs> maybe so hey <laughs> let's not put a limit on anything all right this is a question from austin you know while we're thinking about rum things going on here and maybe not here necessarily. What are some rum events on your bucket lists and what rum events have you gone to that you do and just as importantly, don't recommend to the community? So what came to mind for you here first, John? Yeah, this is an interesting and well-stated question. And I think zeroing in on the don't recommend to the community is also an important part of this. I'm going to answer this by saying I typically find that there is always a takeaway from a rum event. Mm. even if the takeaway is that you didn't like much of what was present there. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you got to tr- get out there and you got to try it. You got to meet people. You got to, you know, hear what's going on. And so I, I think that's important. Now, there's a separate kind of question there of whether or not it's worth the value you paid for entry, <laughs> right? Because that's a, maybe a slightly different question. But I, I do think there is good reason to visit rum and spirit events in your local area where the cost isn't too high to you to do so. So there's Miami typical events here, or or I shouldn't say typical. There's Miami events, some of which I find more interesting than others, but I still go to everything I can just because even in those events that maybe I'm not as excited about for what I think is going to be there, I still find one, maybe two things that I'm like, wow, that was cool. Whether it's a person I get to talk to that's a local rum lover like myself, whether it's a producer that I didn't know existed or got to try something or got to hear something from them that they're doing new that might be interesting in the future. There's a lot of that. So again, cost is a different question, but I would say it's there's probably something you can take away from almost any type of rum event. And don't disclude those ones we talked about earlier, where it might be a broader event, a food and beverage festival or a spirits festival that rum is just a small part of. Just because you're a rum geek, you know, you can still get a lot of value out of those, too. And I think in many times, in many cases, those are people that are eager. They're trying to find a way to get to, to those people and connect people up with what they're doing. So that that's kind of my answer to the question. And then also for bucket list rum events, for me, it's definitely the UK Rum Fest. I've looked on that many a years now and got, wow, I really would love to be there. And the Barbados Rum Experience, which also seems really, really cool. So those are going to be the two on my wish list right now. Yeah, I will go ahead and, and echo those on your wish list. I, I also think the Rum Fest in Berlin is one that I mm. think I, I've also heard great things about. And it would just be great to get over there to you know London or, or Berlin and, and be able to connect not only with some of the other producers that mm-hmm. focus, that concentrate more on Europe as opposed to US events, but also just the rum people out there. You know, some of the writers and awesome bloggers and reviewers that are out there that we've read and some of whom we've had on the podcast, it would be great to connect with them in person. So those are on the bucket list for sure. I think in terms of rum events I've been to, and there aren't any necessarily I've been to that I just straight up would not recommend. I do think like there are some where it's like, depending on how far you're traveling from and what else you have planned on the trip. Like I Mm -hmm. might not travel across the country and make the 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 trip just about attending the rum festival necessarily right i think you know i traveled down to miami for a miami rum congress i think that that one is the best 
I've been to out of all the Rum Lab events. You know, they do ones all over the country. I think the Miami mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. is probably the best just in terms of like who all is there. Obviously, it has the accessibility to the Caribbean. So I'm guessing maybe it's a little bit easier for them to get people for that one. But also just like it's in February and it's in Miami. So if you live somewhere <laughs> cold, like <laughs> it's helps. pretty nice to be able to mm-hmm. take that little break. But yeah, there, there aren't any I've been to where I've just been like, this was straight up terrible and I wouldn't recommend going to it other than like, you know, I, I would just in any of them, I would plan like go to a city that's going to offer you something beyond just the rum festival is is what I would recommend. I, I the, the last thing I want to point out with this is I feel like there's an opportunity there if someone could grab it for some sort of a different rum event in the United States that I, I'm not quite sure how it differs from some of the ones that already exist but it feels like there's something there that I'm hoping for a future kind of rum event. That yeah, uh, I don't think is, the I don't think the market is like totally fulfilled. Right. So, yeah. Right. All right. On on the note of experiencing rum, learning about rum, which is some certainly something great at these festivals. We got a question from Roger who said, "What is a way someone new to rum can learn about what is going on in the rum industry? New rums coming out. What are the resources to access?" This is actually something, John, that like I haven't found the one thing like I wish there was some one thing. Honestly, for me, it would probably preferably be an email of just like Mm -hmm. here's everything happening in rum right now from industry news to releases and stuff like that. I would love for something like that to exist. The perfect one doesn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm not very active on social media. I don't really do Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. So I miss out on a lot of the news that comes in through the various rum groups there. But kind of what I've pieced together to roughly keep up with things. A, I I mentioned the Rum Labs events. They do Miami Rum Congress. They do have a newsletter that I think you can sign up for if you just go to their website, Mm therumlab.com. It's an industry newsletter. It, you kind of have to like sift through it because there's some, it, it's just kind of like a roundup of like anything that's been published on the internet, like remotely related to rum. So sometimes there's stuff in it that's just like, here's a mojito recipe or something that I don't really care about. But other times you'll come across stuff that is, you know, yeah. really interesting news. So I do skim that every week when it comes into my inbox. I subscribe to Matt Petrick's work. You know, yeah. he, he d- like doesn't just focus on current rum events but you will learn about some stuff through him a lot of times he does kind of get some kind of you know exclusive debut thing to share with the rum community so that's a good one certain reviewers i follow like lance at the lone caner that that's a good way to to come across not only new things but old things that are noteworthy as well and then the one kind of I guess this is social media place that I follow is the rum subreddit. So there's a Mm -hmm. number of reviewers there that I always read as well. Then I like to get their opinions and it's a good way to kind of see newer rums that are coming out because people consistently post reviews there. Shout out to, to Kogan, by the way, who we have some questions coming from later in the episode, who is a regular reviewer there. So those are kind of the four main things that I do to keep up with, but I'm interested in, in what stands out to you because I know you, you do, you are more active on some of the social platforms that I am not active on. So what's, what's kind of your, your go-to resources? Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, less, less so lately with the social media stuff. That's just from a generalized, that's not necessarily about rum, but it does feel like even within the rum world, there is 
it's tough on social media. <laughs> like you, you can't it's really, tough to escape, right? Right. You, you can't escape the, the garbage. I don't even, I, I don't know how to really put this into yeah. the right way, but you know, there's, there's a lot of different comments and attitudes from different people out there. And some of them are being genuine and trying to help and trying to push and others. It feels like it's just a fight every single thread. And I get it. And I know there's the fervent few that are very tight and narrow with what they want rum to be. And there's the everything goes crowd and everything in between that. And it's it's just tough to really, it, it's not inspiring. And I don't think this is just rum, by the way. I think this is pretty much everything on social media, but rum is also affected. So yes, you can find some information there, but honestly, I don't know that I'd recommend you know, the, the, the Ministry of Rum or, or any of the, the rum groups anymore. What I will say, and what I do think is good, is to start making friends with your local stores, people at your local stores that are into rum, there are a good amount, and continue to band together with other rum geeks in your area. So there are many rum societies, and that's where I think maybe the social media element can come in that's a little bit more palatable. Yes, you're still going to get some of that stuff you're going to have to deal with, but it's a little bit more, I don't know, it's not regulated, it's not the right word, but focused in and sifts through some of that stuff. So, you know, I would recommend find the rum geeks that you can find in your area whether that's through local stores, local events, like we said, supporting local events. If they're happening there, great, attend them and and just try to go in that direction. I will also see many distilleries have pretty good communication. So if you know you like a rum or a certain style of rum, you can get on mailing lists where they're going to say what's coming out and, and get some good information that way as well. Yeah, I, there's some sort of like law, I feel like, of internet communities where it's like once they reach a certain size they just become unbearable and it's like there's a sweet spot and i do think a lot of times if you have a local rum society or something that has an online group those can be really great because they stay kind of small enough and there's there's some sort of like localized connection that Mm -hmm. causes everyone to be a little bit more chill and and cool Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so yeah i would encourage that we we do we have a a page on the rumcast website of rum societies around the country and the world even there's there's many around the world that are listed there as well so we'll put a link to that in the show notes and you can check out kind of what's closest to you and even if there's not something necessarily like right in your city or right in your state if you find something somewhat close a lot of times you know they open those communities to people who are nearby so yeah i would look into those that's a great way to keep up with with what's or if going you're on. still listening to this podcast at this point and there's yes. not one in your city maybe it's incumbent upon <laughs> you to create it uh i think we just got a new email will and i can't remember if it was spokane or somewhere that was a new city that had a brand new rum club so we'll yes. have to add that to our list uh, that you mentioned. Yes, that was, that was greetings from the Spokane Rum Club, Spokane. John. Spokane. Oh, yes. I thought it was Spokane. Yes. See what, See, you Spokane need to, would be you need nice to follow in my footsteps club. and take your own trip to the, the great state of Washington <laughs> so you can learn these things. I, um, I would love to. Yeah. I've actually never been, never been to Spokane. I think that's more kind of like the eastern area of, of Washington. But anyway, mm. yes, there's a Spokane rum, rum Club out there. So they're, they're popping up everywhere, even places that uh, John necessarily can't pronounce on the first try. So <laughs> well spoken, Will. Well spoken. Well spoken. Um. There we go. <laughs> All right. We're, we're going to do like one. We're, we're honestly, 
we might be halfway through these questions. So I think what we're going to do is do a yeah. part two and we'll just, these questions came from Patreon. So we're going to do our, uh, a bonus episode for the month. We'll, we'll finish out the mailbag questions. We've got some other really good questions to get through that, that I have many thoughts on John, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, we don't want this to turn into a two or three hour episode. So I think we'll yeah. save those for a bonus episode, but we'll close it out with, with one more that I think we can keep relatively short, which is, this is another one that came in from Andrew, who asked, what is the weirdest but most accurate descriptor you've ever picked up when nosing slash tasting a rum? For example, something like fresh cut garden hose. So John, what is the most out there but also accurate tasting Mm. note that you have scribbled down or filed away in your brain over the years? Um, I, I don't consider myself very good at this, um, <laughs> I don't but either, I will say, way. speaking of Caroni, <laughs> yes. I'd say the, do, do you, have you ever seen a roofer, the roofers that they, they have behind like a truck or a vehicle that have this like uh, boiling tar pit and it goes on to, so that, that suffocating roofing tar smell, mm-hmm. that is the exact same smell to me as the, the Caroni whatever you want to call it in there. Uh-huh. And if I were ever morbidly forced to drink hot roofing tar, <laughs> I feel confident that my last thought before I died would be, yep, that's Caroni. <laughs> <laughs> so hot hot roofing tar then would be yes. the, the note for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think for me, I, I, I'm A, I would not describe myself as the best person at picking out exact notes from stuff but b i'm also terrible at keeping track of them like in my mind i always want to be the person who has the system and like has the journal i can go back through like <laughs> I, I know lance stewardge Bali from the lone caner has like the little black book of like all the notes from probably thousands of rums he's tried over the year i would love yeah. to do that i just don't have the kind of personality that can be disciplined enough mm. to keep notes like that but i do have this little one tasting notes book that i ordered off amazon a while ago and for a while i kept notes in it and every now and then i'll go back to it but only probably like 20 percent of the rums i try end up in there but i was okay. just thumbing back through to see like what is kind of the weirdest note that i've written down over the years and for me i think the most out there one but that also when i say it i know exactly what kind of taste it's describing is inflatable pool toy fresh from the water (laughs) so i love it (laughs) that combines kind of a rubbery Mm -hmm. taste Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also a little bit of kind of a chlorine chemical kind of vibe which isn't surprisingly isn't always a bad thing like i've had notes like this written on rums that i enjoy including the homesky fiji single origin that we helped pick out with eric k i think i didn't have that specific phrasing written down but i think i had pool water written down as one Mm -hmm. of them kind of this this chlorine vibe uh and i love that rum but yeah so uh, uh inflatable pool toy fresh from the water that would probably be the the weirdest one that I've written down, but that I know exactly what it's describing when I read yeah. it, though I don't expect anyone else to. Now I know what happened to you as a kid when you drank <laughs> too much pool water. <laughs> That's true, yeah. All right, well, we'll wrap up, I, I guess, what we're calling part one of this. Uh, as yeah. I said, we'll finish out 
the mailbag the the, the second 90 minutes probably <laughs> for for our patreon subscribers on a bonus episode there but thank you shout out to our patreon subscribers for coming yeah. up with some great questions and we got some great ones that we haven't gotten to yet so we'll get to those in 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 due time before the month of october is over and as always if you want to join us in there get access to more bonus episodes join us for happy hours etc you can do that at patreon.com slash the rumcast it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash the rumcast but john with with all that said anything else anything else to add i guess we could we could put a call out there for more questions because we I didn't think we should yeah I was about to say we should just keep going with the questions here because you know we'll we'll find time we'll we'll make time mm-hmm. to answer these important questions or at least to have fun talking about them. Yes. I can't guarantee a good answer, but I can guarantee we will have fun discussing <laughs> them and hopefully you will have fun listening. Yeah, um, so if you do have questions or if you have thoughts on any of the questions we discussed, if you want to mm-hmm. weigh in on the whole what percentage of people would be able to name Appleton if you stopped them on the street, <laughs> You can email us at host at rumcast.com. That's H-O-S-T at rumcast.com. You can also find us on some of those social media platforms we referenced earlier. John, where can they find us? That's right. At the rumcast at X. On X. X. And as well as Facebook and uh, Instagram as well. So (laughs) You almost still said Twitter, didn't you? I did almost (laughs) say Twitter. I was trying really hard not to say it. Yeah, formerly known as. And yeah, we're on all those platforms. We do try to get to the DMs, by the way. We we do get a fair amount of DMs also as well. People sliding into the DMs, Will, with us. And uh, we try to to get to as many of those as possible. So uh, if so, feel free to drop us a line there. And we'll we'll love to answer more questions cross-platform if we can as well. So, but you know, with all that, Will, I mean, thank you to everybody out there that that put in these questions and like you said let's get some more this yeah. is this is fun throw some crazy ones out there there's at least one more crazy one out there that i can't <laughs> wait to answer about dungeons and dragons so that is coming and there i'm sure there's more all right well keep the the, the questions coming in and we'll answer them when we can but john until until that day comes i'll talk to you then mm-hmm.